Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. I hope you were with us last week when we presented the first three concertos on our Beethoven Festival, concertos one, two, and three. Now we present the two final concertos, concertos four and five, both with one extraordinary pianist, Orion Weiss. Uh, in discussing these uh, concerts, we've been talking about how uh, we're featuring the, quote, students of Emmanuel Axe. And in fact, the four pianists who are appearing with us have all, in fact, been students of Emmanuel Axe. But uh, it sounds a little bit like a student recital when we say it that way, when in fact, these are four towering virtuosi. Orion Weiss being, I guess, the most senior of them in his early 30s, uh, is already a, a very well-known and much-loved solo artist performing with orchestras all around the country and the world and has appeared with the Albany Symphony a great number of times, as well as having recorded with us. He made a beautiful recording of Christopher Rouse's piano concerto Seeing with us about two years ago. So we were delighted to be able to welcome Orion back to perform these last two monumental utterances of Beethoven in this genre of the piano concerto. Uh, We talked last week a lot about uh, how the first three concerti really showed, uh, demonstrated kind of the evolution of Beethoven's artistry in the piano concerto genre from the so-called second concerto, which was written first uh, in the around 1790 through the first concerto written about seven or eight years later, and then all the way to the third concerto written in 1801, 1802. The last two concerti, it's a little harder to talk about about evolution in that both works are so singular and so distinctive. And while, of course, the the fifth concerto, The Mighty Emperor, sounds like a a real summation, although it turns out Beethoven didn't intend that to be his last concerto. He actually started working on another concerto, a number six, uh, in about 1816, seven years after the the emperor. That piece still sounds like somehow a real summation or an end of an era of this heroic decade that's much talked about between about 1800 and 1810. And yet these two pieces uh, don't show a, a progression from the fourth to the fifth. They almost are like a a yin and yang relationship, the fourth being the most lyrical, most gentle, most delicate of the five concerti, and the fifth being the most muscular, most symphonic, and kind of most most overpowering. So uh, it was a great opportunity for us, for the orchestra and me, as well as for our, our audience, to experience these monumental works, especially after having just heard the first three concertos. The fourth is in a rather unique key among the concerti. It's in the key of G major, which is, for Beethoven, one of the sunniest, warmest, most lyrical keys. Beethoven had had a lot of associations. So his E-flat major works, the Eroica Symphony, uh, the final emperor concerto, big, symphonic, dramatic forms, very regal, G major, very soft and beautiful, C major, kind of bright and brilliant, and so on and so forth, uh, C minor, dark and brooding, the, the great fifth symphony, of course, is in C minor, as well as the, the third piano concerto. 
and this piece is incredibly lyrical. I, I've done a lot of uh, study of, of early mid-Beethoven. Uh, a few weeks ago, I performed the second symphony for after having done it many times before, and, and I changed over my markings in my score to a new, more scholarly edition. And I was struck once again in working on the second symphony at how extreme Beethoven's uh, dynamic palette is. He doesn't just write the occasional forte for loud or sforzando for a dramatic accent uh, to force, to sforzare the sound. Uh, he writes streams of them, forte, 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 piano, piano. He, he doesn't want us just to experience one dynamic, but it's almost as if he's reinforcing the dynamics in every bar, particularly the loud and the dramatic dynamics. And I sort of ascribe that to his uh, encroaching deafness, that he really felt sort of a, a desperate need to hear the structure. But when you encounter a piece like the fourth concerto, which is written much later than the initial crisis of his hearing loss, which sort of began around 1800, and this piece is from 1805, 1806, uh, the absolute serenity of the first movement, the, the beauty of it, uh, and the fact that while there's a great deal of dy- dynamic contrast throughout the piece, it doesn't have those streams of thumping uh, intensity that, that the more dramatic works have. Uh, this is a sort of heavenly, heavenly Beethoven. And so it makes me think that maybe there was something else going on uh, in terms of architecture in his wanting so desperately to articulate dynamics in architecture in his early mid-works. So this is right set in the middle of the so-called heroic decade. Beethoven's uh, works are often divided by scholars uh, into sort of three general periods, the early period up to about 1800, the time of the first concerto of the first symphony and the first piano concerto, and then the the sort of most fertile period of his entire career, uh, the so-called heroic middle period, the heroic period, which mainly lasts from about 1800 to 1810 and kind of into the 1810s, and then this kind of fallow period when he, he, he wrote far fewer pieces in the 1810s and then this incredible late period, the final flowering of the 1820s uh, all the way up to his death in 1827. Works like the Ninth Symphony, the Mises Solemnis, uh, those unbelievably far reaching um, sort of works that go beyond uh, his time by a hundred years or so, the, the late string quartets and the late piano sonatas, etc. So this is pieces firmly at the center of the so-called heroic decade, the middle period uh, when he just kind of poured forth unbelievable amounts of, of music, of chamber music, of solo piano music, of symphonies, of concertos, etc. Three movements, beautiful, lyrical first movement, which is a very uh, unique form. Beethoven was forever playing with expectations of architecture. At this time, when people went to a concert and heard a piano concerto, or any kind of concerto, they absolutely understandably expected the work to begin with a big, loud, uh, extensive orchestral statement of maybe two or three minutes duration before the solo artist ever came in. That was just the expectation of how the concerto form uh, functioned. In this concerto, in a sort of radical departure, Uh, The very first sound we hear is the beautiful solo piano without any orchestra playing this gorgeous in G major and then answered by the softest, most delicate strings in a rather remote but very happy, serene key of B major. And that sort of becomes the premise of the whole, the material in, in those two statements is the premise of the entire movement. And he spins this fabulous, extensive first movement from that. 
Now, in this case, uh, Orion Weiss elected to uh, play at the end of the first movement a cadenza by no less an artist than Johannes Brahms, a huge fan of Beethoven, uh, who sort of felt like he walked in Beethoven's shadow, and as an homage to Beethoven, wrote cadenzas uh, to this concerto and to other works as well. Uh, so this is a, a somewhat unusual cadenza. It's not one of Beethoven's own. It's, it's by Brahms. And so that sort of rounds out the first movement. The second movement, again, really um, Beethoven completely changing expectations of what people would have expected of a, a second movement. Second movements usually at this time are beautiful, slow, lyrical songs, in essence, songs without words. Uh, in this case, the strings in the concerto begin without any of the winds or brass, playing this very strong, almost angry theatrical bomb. Ba-bum, ba-bum, bum, ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And that's answered by an unbelievably still, hymn-like, chorale-like, uh, gorgeous statement by the, the piano. And the, the movement goes on like that, with the, the orchestra being this kind of rough, angry voice uh, answered by the serene, beautiful piano. So in essence, what happens in, in this slow movement is it's as if through this very brief slow movement, which only lasts a few minutes, uh, the piano tames the orchestra. The orchestra becomes ever softer and sweeter and eventually sort of blends into the piano, uh, at which point there's a little written out cadenza and the piano actually does some very dramatic and expressive things and then ends very, very quietly. And, And what's so striking about this concerto is that about this movement in the concerto is that it really makes a, a theatrical statement. List, the great Franz Liszt talked about how this was like the story of Orpheus going down to to try to uh, get uh, Eurydice back and encountering the three-headed dog, Cerberus, who is the, the rough sound of the orchestra and tries to soothe it with uh, his song. It's entirely Liszt's creation, but there's no question that in Beethoven's mind, whatever his, his programmatic idea was, it's very programmatic, very theatrical music. And also, because it's so brief and because in a way it has an almost unfinished quality and kind of ends without a real clear uh, finish in a way. Uh, it, it, it's a, a, a very strange and kind of disarming and almost disconcerting movement that leads us then fairly immediately into the magnificent uh, and very exciting finale, which again begins not in the home key, but begins with very hushed strings playing in C major, which is you know a, a, a related key to G major, but again, a kind of startling idea to start the third movement not in the home key with bum, da-da-dum, da-da-dum, bum, 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 ba. And then this fabulous rollicking third movement with a little cadenza by Beethoven toward the end, bringing this glorious and extremely heartfelt concerto, soft, beautiful, warm piece uh, to a finish. The soloist is pianist Orion Weiss, uh, accompanied by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. 
This program featured only two concerti, one on the first half, one on the second, and so now we turn to the final great utterance of Beethoven's. Again, a a hugely innovative work, as different from the fourth concerto as could possibly be imagined, the mighty fifth so-called emperor concerto. The name was not given by Beethoven. It was probably uh, appended after his death, although there is a story, possibly apocryphal, of some some French officer hearing the premiere and saying, c'est l'empereur, that sounds, that piece, it sounds like the emperor and thus the name sticking. But uh, our our guess is that knowing how much Beethoven wasn't really in favor of monikers unless he thought them up, uh, he probably wouldn't have loved the idea. But uh, one must admit that that calling this piece the emperor just feels right. It's so regal. It's so monumental. It's so symphonic in a way that no concerto before it in all of history had been. It's as if it's a symphony for piano and orchestra. It asks the pianist to do the most extravagantly virtuosic thing. In fact, uh, my wife said to me that that after hearing it, she she, uh, thought it sounded like one of the romantic composers writing it because all the romantic composers so were so struck by this piece and many of them emulated it in their own works. It feels like he's gone on to the world of Chopin and Liszt and, and, and beyond. Uh, so very big, thrilling, monumental work. I should mention also that what's been so interesting in going through the five Beethoven piano concerti in order uh, is that Beethoven's evolution of his piano writing and of his piano concerto writing also tracks right alongside the evolution of the piano as an instrument. The piano of Mozart's time was a profoundly different instrument from the piano of our own time, and that during this period when Beethoven was writing most of his piano music between about 1795 and 1810 or so, the piano underwent the most profound technical developments as an instrument. It began, uh, you know, in, in Mozart's time, even before Mozart's time, Bach is even reputed to have tried out a very early fortepiano at the end of his life uh, when he went to visit his son, Carl Philipp Emanuel, in Potsdam. So the piano, as we know it, came into being around the 1730s, 1740s. Uh, It really came to its full flowering in Mozart's time. Mozart no longer wrote really for the harpsichord as Beethoven had. He wrote for the piano forte or the fortepiano, as it was called in this time. You probably remember that the harpsichord, the, the mechanism is like a, 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 it's a plucking mechanism. And so uh, because of that, it makes that clangy sound, but also the performer doesn't have control over dynamics, over louds and softs. You can change the whole registration so that all the notes are at a certain softer dynamic level, but you can't make one note louder than another. And the great innovation of the fortepiano, as it was known, thus the very apt name for it, was that because it was a hammer that hit the string, that struck the string, you could hit it with more or less force, thus creating louder or softer sounds. And that innovation is what sort of enabled Mozart and then Beethoven to be these great innovators in writing piano concerti and and sonatas and developing the the technical capabilities of that instrument. But uh, Mozart's uh, instrument was a very tiny instrument. It was about the size of a harpsichord, and it usually sat in a harpsichord casing. Uh, It had very primitive kind of pedals that that you operated with your your knees, not with your with your feet, and uh, it made a very delicate, soft, generally soft sound. In Beethoven's time, around 1800, all sorts of new innovations came into being. The the pianos became bigger. They added some keys, some notes at the top and the bottom, uh, ev- uh, eventually going from about five octaves to more than six octaves. And uh, the instrument strengthened. It developed the the foot pedal, and also this idea of if you've ever looked in a modern piano on the upper strings, there are always three strings for each hammer 
so that you're not just hitting one string, but you're hitting three that create this wonderful, complex sonority. In Beethoven's time, that came into being, the, the three strings, and also the ability to only hit one, so to use a damper pedal that allowed you to make a sort of covered sound. So all sorts of new kind of sonic tonal capabilities came into being. And Beethoven in these five works, and of course in his piano sonatas as well, exploited these in full. So he was really kind of an inventor along with the technical innovations of the piano in terms of inventing the new techniques uh, for pianists to use. And nowhere did he do this more than in the monumental Emperor Concerto. Uh, again, the form is, is rather unusual. It's a three-movement concerto. Again, the expectation of the audience would be that, that the orchestra would play a big, fabulous tutti, a big opening statement that would be followed by the piano. In the case of this concerto, the orchestra hits a big E-flat major chord, and the piano comes in with a very florid cadenza. So instead of the cadenza being at the end of the movement, the piano is featured as pure soloist right at the beginning. And so the orchestra hits three different chords, each followed by an incredible torrent of, of, of passage work from the piano. And then eventually the pianist leads the orchestra into the orchestral tutti. And then we get what we had expected, this big orchestral statement followed by a big pianistic statement. And the piano comes back with these mini cadenzas later in the, in the movement. But very interestingly, this is the first time that Beethoven in, in any of his piano concertos writes very distinctly in the score. He writes out the, the little cadenzas that he wants, and then he writes actually in words, he says, the pianist must not improvise his own cadenza. It's as if he's, he's decided this is how this piece should go. He's tired of hearing other pianists mess with his, his structure. He wants it to sound like this. So uh, all the cadenzas are actually encoded in the actual manuscript of the score. The first monumental movement ends, and it leads to one of the most heavenly of all Beethoven's slow movements, gorgeous uh, second movement, very delicate, um, with, with actually muted violins. The violins put this thing that looks a little bit like a clothespin on their bridges that, that kind of dampens the sound, and they play this very ethereal covered theme that's then echoed in a set of kind of variations by the piano and by the woodwinds and by the orchestra, a very moving and beautiful slow movement that leads, again, in a very innovative way, directly without pause into the the final great uh, finish, the, the last movement. It's as if at the end of the slow movement, you hear the pianist almost inventing in real time the theme of the finale. Bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-da-dum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-da-dum, so on. And uh, then kind of giving birth to the, again, very monumental final themes of uh, this great major work by Beethoven. So here now, the fifth and final of Beethoven's piano concerti, the concerto number five, so-called Emperor. The pianist, once again, is Orion Weiss, accompanied by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.